0: From McKinsey's Business Building Practice Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. As the eight co-founders of Singapore-based Art of Finance got to know one another during their years together at Google, they recognized a massive market gap for investment services aimed at people like themselves, successful professionals who were doing well, but not well enough to access top-tier financial services. With a total addressable market in the trillions, they decided to launch a fintech startup offering these elite services at scale using a digital platform powered by AI. The venture quickly attracted prominent investors NVC funding in excess of 92 million dollars, and is already doing business in the U.S. and will begin operating in Singapore by early 2024. Caesar Sangupta, CEO of Arda Finance, sat down with McKinsey's Thomas Lubuka to discuss Arda's mission to automate public market investing and provide access to alternative assets by offering clients the services of a digital private bank and family office.
1: Hi, Caesar. Welcome to the venture. Great to have you. Thanks, Tomas, for
2: having me on. It's wonderful to talk to you. Absolutely.
1: Caesar, why don't we go straight into this? I'm quite curious. Look, you've got a really successful career at Google, 15 years. You've let Google play in India. You were at the helm of developing Chromebooks. You could keep going and you wouldn't have to jump ship. Press the pause on this career and go build Art of Finance. So what's the story behind this?
2: Great question. And I like how you've put it, but when you find an opportunity that's even bigger than what you're working on, then I think all things lead towards going and doing it. So Arti, in many ways, originated out of some of our experiences at Google. I have eight co-founders. We're a rather weird company. And among the eight co-founders, we spent, on average, eight to 15 years working together and over the years became friends like people are off to become when they work together. And one of the things as we were talking about, as friends talk about finances and money, we realized that there was a massive gap in serving professionals who are doing well and will eventually have a lot more network, but are not quite at the 20 million, 25 million level where a private bank would offer them great service or at an even higher level where they would have their own family office, that they were not being, these people were not being served. And we felt that need ourselves. And as we spoke to people around, we realized there's a very, very large segment in the world, several hundred million people who are in that segment worth trillions in the total TAM that need a service like this, where we offer private banking or a digital family office to them at scale using technology and AI. So once we saw this opportunity, we felt like the timing was right, given where we were with technology, AI, and in our careers. And it was not quite in line with what Google does, and Google's not a wealth manager. And so we decided the best way to do this would be to start something up on our own with a lot of support from friends and others at Google
1: and elsewhere. Interesting. So hold on, Cesar, what does Arda actually do? That's a
2: great question to us. Let me talk about what the product
1: offering is. So if you think
2: about a private bank or a wealth manager, it has to do two things essentially, it has to help you grow your money and it has to help you protect your money in different aspects. So what ARA does is essentially help you grow your assets through investments in public markets. And we've essentially automated all kinds of public market investing. So this is ranging from very simple robo advisors, if that's what you're comfortable to, to all the way to very sophisticated quant strategies that you can personalize by industry, if that's what you're into. If all you want to do is a direct index in the middle and just want to invest in S&P 500 but guess tax loss harvesting, sure, we'll let you do that too. Then on the alternative side, a lot of people are only in public markets. We, want, we think many professionals like the ultra-rich should be invested in alternative assets, private equity, private credit, private real estate, venture, and there we give people access but at much lower amounts. So typically, you can on ARTA invest in funds but instead of the millions that you'd have to normally put in, you can start with 25000 or 100000 in some cases. So it makes it much more approachable. We also offer structured products that are timed investments. So you don't have to understand the complexities of derivatives and calls and puts. But you can just see, like, you have some money that you want to put away for three years, but you want some gain out of it. And we can help you do that. You can get better tax-advantaged investing, but structured through permanent life insurance. We can also set up trust in estates. It's essentially a full value proposition that you would expect a family office or a private bank to do for you. We offer that to our, our members and our users, but using a digital platform, obviously with experts and humans providing support wherever needed.
1: You know what? I'm quite curious because you're talking digitally enabled wealth management. There's been robo-advisors and the likes for decades, right? It's like 10, 15 years. What's the unique value proposition that you truly bring to the table? And what is the role that AI plays here?
2: As you mentioned, robo-advisors have been around for the last 10 years or so. And at that point, they took a very simple concept of having balanced portfolios that were, auto, that were rebalanced on a regular basis and used technology to scale it. What we've done is sort of brought it a decade or two to the future. And essentially, we've automated not just all kinds of public market investment but we give access to people for alternative assets, but at much lower ticket sizes. We help them understand and access structured products that typically are only accessible to the ultra-wealthy. We help people set up much better tax advantage investment schemes through insurance. So in many ways, we are doing what a private bank does, but using technology to scale that. In a way, we think about it like if for all those people who started with robo-advisors 10 years back, ATA is where you graduate too. robo served you well while you were kind of still getting your feet under the table. But as you start thinking about your financial future, start thinking about scaling up, Arta is where you would come to for a full-fledged a digital private bank or a digital family office. And the role that AI plays here is interesting. So we use AI in a couple of different ways. When we started, obviously, this was before generative AI came around. It was mainly machine learning. So what we do is we take a bunch of strategies that have existed in the quantitative investing world. So if you think about a bunch of these very, very sophisticated quant investing funds, we apply machine learning to some of those technologies and techniques so that we can now offer these at an individualized level for starting at $25,000, but to many, many people that would be able to access quant funds. So that's where we've been using machine learning. But now with generative AI, the potential is so exciting and the world is just opening up. So we're doing a bunch of work using large language models to enable thematic investing. So today, for example, if you wanted to invest in a particular theme you were excited in, you'd have to have a fairly sophisticated investment manager set it up for you, or you'd have to find a hedge fund that does that and then put money into it. How about if you could just type it into a system and that generated the assets that fit that theme you could put money into it. It would keep watching it for you and all of this done with AI. So I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of generative AI and super excited about what it can do in the future.
1: That is really fascinating indeed. And I think it's the day and age where a lot of different stakeholders across the industries are tapping and toying with all the different opportunities that, that generative AI offers to them. And I find you're really pushing the envelope here. You're really taking it to the edge. and I think you really are piloting the next versions of the application here that you described. It's really, truly exciting. And I can imagine not just exciting, but also daunting and challenging. Building this service really requires a cross-cutting of capabilities, I can imagine. You're talking about large language models. You're talking about finance, wealth management, licensing. That is something that you refer to as a big co-founding team of eight people. Can you walk us through this? What were the capabilities that you were looking for in your co-founders and early employees? What is it that gives you right to not just to play here, but really win against the incumbents, against the other startups, or against perhaps a competition that might be thinking of how to shift gears here? I'm really curious. What's your thought on this?
2: Absolutely, and in a way, when you're choosing co-founders, there are a few different things that go together. First, it's kind of like a marriage, and in this case, it's an eight-way marriage. So, you need to know your co founders and feel like these are the kind of people that you want to spend the next couple of decades working with and being deep in the trenches. So, that was obviously one of the biggest criteria. And the fact that a lot of us have worked together for a very long time, about six of us built, started Chrome OS and worked on Chrome OS. And then when we started Google Pay, they all moved over to Google Pay. So, we've had a lot of history in building products. So, the first part is just the amount of history and the chemistry. And the time you work together. But the second part really is about the right skill set. And you know in this case, we could see the problem. This was a problem that we had faced. We could see what the solution could be here, how to use technology. But to build it out, we needed three key skill sets. You need people who can build deep tech and especially AI at scale. There are a couple of people on our team. Our CTO, Zell was ran engineering for Google Pay. Before that, he ran Chrome OS. One of our engineering leaders, another co-founder, was an engineering manager for Gmail and built and grew Gmail from like several tens of millions of users to billions of users. So these are deep, deep tech people who know how to build and scale. And that team has expanded in that space. So that was the first skill set, deep tech. The second is you need people who are deep from finance. And there are some people on the founding team who came from deep within finance. So our CIO, Chirag, Is ran algorithmic hedge funds and our insurance business is led by another similar stalwart from the insurance industry, Samita Malik, who spent 20 years building insurance businesses. So we've tried to bring in people from tech, then we brought in a bunch of very deep people from the world of finance because these two have to get married together. And then the third critical function here is actually growth drivers and people who can take this complicated set of financial tools and jargon and education and help people understand what this is all about, who can drive growth, engage with users. And this is where a lot of the folks that built Google Pay and drove growth in globally from zero to like hundreds of millions of users in Google Pay, that team came together. So we've really put together a team of these sort of three skill sets of deep tech, deep finance, and growth drivers. And I think this combination is what is really going to be very very effective in creating a really scalable platform look the opportunity here is not to take users away from anyone because this is largely a untapped market most private banks are not able to access or tackle or cater to accredited investors with few hundreds of thousands to even 5 10 million in net worth profitably and most consumer banks don't know how to reach this space so there's a completely open space here which needs a fairly sophisticated product, but you need these set of things to build the market and grow the space for everyone.
1: Well, this is a more than a daunting task, but what I hear from you so far is quite insightful. There is the pain point that you feel, then you really feel it together with the team. You want to, so quote unquote, graduate in your wealth management and finances. You see the big target market. You are talking trillions. You can envision the solution and the solution be empowered by AI, but then what you did is you stepped back and understood that there's three capabilities which are critical for you to master to make this happen. Deep tech, know how to build, know how to scale. There's a deep in finance and then ultimately the growth. So the growth drivers starting with customer experience but going beyond engagement and at scale. This is quite clear and, and the clarity that you bring it makes it sound almost straightforward, which again, I'm pretty sure there is not and there must be many challenges along the way. What I'm quite curious is beyond what is top of mind for many is how to set up the right capabilities and the right team is how do you get the right resources in terms of funding? And many of companies that we see building ventures from scratch, they would be carrying up fairly strong balance sheets and they'd be able to fund startups, obviously go out and raise from outside. How are you actually thinking about resources from that perspective, beyond talent on fundraising?
2: There's one advantage of having a bunch of old people start a company, which is they're slightly further along in their careers, both in terms of net worth, but also in terms of network. And so those two make a big difference. So initially, when we started, we funded ourselves and we knew we had enough funds to go for a team of about 50 people for about a year, which for most startups is actually a pretty amazing luxury. And so that we had already committed enough funds just between the founders. But then what happened was, as we started talking to people at Google, our partners, our friends, and this includes people like Eric Schmidt, who was the previous CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai, who's the current CEO of Google, partners that we had worked with for many years, two things happened. One was first, they all said, this problem resonates with us. We wish we had this in our lives 10 or 20 years back, when we were getting going, when we were in our 30s and sort of really hitting the stride. And the second thing, they were like, we would love to see this happen and be part of this journey. So we ended up getting a huge number of angel investors who came in to really support us and help us grow. So we have 140 angel investors. As the angel investors were coming in, we started talking to some of the the VC funds that we had worked with in the past. And they ended up leading our seed round. And after the seed round, we realized there's actually a number of partners who wanted to engage with us pretty early. So we ended up doing a quick follow-on series A and ended up raising about $92 And part of that was, of course, we wanted these people on the journey with us to help us build this, as you put it, fairly daunting effort. But the second part of it was when you're building a wealth management product, you don't want your users to even for a moment think that you're not going to be in the game. And so we wanted to make sure our users knew conclusively that we were around for the long run. So we raised a lot more and maybe took a little bit more dilution than we would have to otherwise do. But our goal here is to build a generational company, not like maximize the valuation for any of us. Like we want to see this product in existence and obviously we'll make money doing it. But we feel like the opportunity to create a tech company in finance, starting with wealth management, is massive and immense. And that's ultimately what we're geared towards doing with all of our angel investors and supporters.
1: What I'm curious is how are you thinking about scaling? And my particular question is not pointed towards what you mentioned earlier, and that is having a growth theme, which touched upon, and I think this is essential, but it's also the nature of the product that you're trying to build and the industry you're trying to revolutionize. This is heavily licensed, heavily regulated industry with every country has its own specifics. How are you thinking about that versus Other competitive solution in sprouting when they see your traction?
2: Absolutely. First of all, just a quick point on the competition. Like, again, as I said, this is a largely untapped market. We see the opportunity as largely greenfield, being able to serve this particular audience, professionals with hundreds of thousands to like, you know, five, 10, $15 million. And so we think there's a massive opportunity here. So we're very focused on that aspect. But in terms of how we plan to grow from here, so, US. We have a B2C effort, which is direct-to-consumer, focused on a couple of segments. We think where our direct engagements will work best is young professionals in tech, consulting, finance, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. That'll work incredibly, incredibly well. We also just received our Singapore approval, so we will be able to open up in Singapore soon, hopefully before this podcast goes live, but sometime early in 2024. So those couple of markets in certain segments, we will be going directly to the professionals. But we're a very ecosystem friendly and a partner friendly team. So what we'll be doing our next stage of evolution here, and we're starting to have some great conversations with very large banks and financial institutions across the world, US and elsewhere, where we're offering all of ARTA as a private bank as a service. It's like a SaaS product, but private banking. So same way as you get Gmail or Outlook as email as a SaaS, We will offer private banking as a SaaS, but to partners and banks in countries to open up under their own brand. So you could imagine, let's take Australia. One of the banks in Australia wants to take all of ARTA, which is not just the technology and the user experience, but all of the products, like as I mentioned, all the private alternative investments, all of our public market investments, all of these options, all the features we have all of it together in a box and instantly be able to upgrade their wealth management offering or get into a new segment of wealth management and be competitive with the world's best, we think that's a pretty interesting option. So that's the next stage of growth for us internationally, where in each country, we want to be able to offer this whole thing as a SaaS. And our ultimate vision is hopefully within a year, we get to a point where within a matter of weeks, a bank can bring up a new wealth management service in their country or focused on their segment very, very quickly. They handle the regulatory piece. They handle the client relationships and everything else we offer as a SaaS.
1: Mm, this is fascinating. So you're playing on two fields. There is the D2C play, and this is in a big market in the US. You're getting licensed in Singapore, but you're also tapping into the second market, which is the B2B. You know, In a sense, wealth management as a service, as you put it. When you're bringing the whole suite of solutions, including the products, in a box, and then any partner can ultimately unlock the licensing and regulatory requirement for you, and with that, help you tap in the market, that is a really fascinating approach.
2: It's extremely symbiotic. We think, obviously, partner unlocks growth for us, but we bring something very unique to the partner. But what's interesting is, again, you know, I'll go back a little bit to our backgrounds. This is a playbook that, that we've done over the years at Google. One of my co-founders, Felix Lin and I, Felix has always managed the partner side of our efforts, so we did the same with Chrome OS, where Chrome OS started consumer, but then we partnered up with the OEMs and other big distributors to go into education, to go into enterprise, and it created new businesses for everyone. The only growing category in PCs globally has been education, and most of it is Chromebooks. Then we did the same thing with Google Pay. We started with a pure peer-to-peer play in India, and then now today, the banks are offering loans on Google Pay. They are offering fixed deposit accounts and you can buy airplane tickets on Google Pay in India. In the US, you can get offers from merchants on Google Pay. And so we ended up creating an ecosystem play that made everybody more productive because you just create more opportunities and connections. So this model of starting B2C and then Adding B2B to C on top of it or a B2B component so that the overall ecosystem benefits is something that we firmly, firmly believe in. And it's like sort of part of our core. So from the day one, when we started talking to our angels, this was part of the plan. It just took us two years to get to a point where we could start actually having conversations with banks and partners and the ecosystem to be able to do this.
1: Mm. Amazing. And I think this is exactly where you're answering the questions to investors. And this is also the questions that many of large companies are asking themselves What's your capability that nobody else has? And if you have a look at the big players that are building new ventures, they would be looking into their unique assets that they can leverage, whether it's a database, whether it's brand, whether it's strong balance sheets and what have you. This is what I've seen, you know, as building ventures. So far, what you're talking here is the ultimate AAA answer from investors' perspective. Look, I've been there and done that. I've done it multiple times at the brand that you know, at Google, and I've done it once and I did it once and I'm doing it three times with my own venture and and I have the vision and the team and the resources to make this happen. It's very compelling and I'm really keen to see how this story will unfold. Caesar, this has been a really insightful conversation. I'm very much looking forward to having you back on the show in a few years from now and, and hear how is the journey going for you.
2: Absolutely, Tomas. Thank you so much.
0: You have been listening to The Venture with me, Andrew Roth. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode next month.